0: Good morning, family. It is good to be with you. My name is Eddie, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace. Uh, I hope that you've been encouraged though, thus far and, and had a moment to connect maybe with some of the people in the chat. Uh, just a few things before we get started. First of all, I, I want to encourage you today to register for our Bible Journey Summer Series. This is going to be an opportunity for us to, to dive into the Word of God and, and get an idea of, of what the Bible says as a whole. You know, if we believe that the Bible is the written word, not just of, of individuals who wrote specific books of the Bible, but of God Himself, then there's a there's a cohesiveness, there's a unity, there is a, an overarching narrative that God is weaving through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And and when you have a moment to go through the Bible and read it uh, in a shorter amount of time, maybe not the whole Bible, we're not going to go through the whole Bible, but but uh, if you're able to get th- go through key passages from Genesis all the way to end to the end in Revelation, you get to see a picture of God's overarching uh, conversation, his story that he's giving us of, of creation and then our fall and then this, this pursuit of redemption on God's part and then the new creation that happens. It's an amazing story that, that if you've never experienced it, it's gonna be a great opportunity for you to experience it. We're starting on Monday, this Monday, July 13th, but it's not too late for you to sign up Uh, And then we'll be going for eight weeks, five days a week. So you'll go for five days a week. And then you'll have two days that you can, you can use to reflect on what you've read that week, or you can catch up if you miss something during the week. But we'd be doing that for eight weeks all the way through uh, the first week in September, and it'll be your opportunity to connect with uh, the Word of God and connect with us. There'll be ways for you to interact with others and share what God is teaching you and what you're, what you're reflecting on and applying in your life. So please register today. You can do that by going to gracecov.org slash sterling and then clicking the link for uh, the Bible journey. Now secondly, we also have today an, an informational meeting for LeadWell. Now LeadWell is our leadership development program for all of Grace Covenant Church. We have two tracks. One is called the Foundations Track, and that really gets you uh, uh, founded in the faith. It gives you an opportunity to dig deeper into what it means to be a Christian, what it means to trust in Jesus Christ, how do we live out that life of trusting in Jesus Christ, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, all the basics that, that maybe we come, kind of come to assume that everyone knows, but, but really it's a good moment for you to, to dig deeper. Then we have our leadership track, which goes for two years, and it's really a a way of our equipping you for for biblical training, uh, doctrinal training, ministerial training, so that you might be better equipped as a leader, not only as a leader in the church, but also as a leader in the world, as a Christian who is leading in whatever spheres of influence that God has entrusted you with. And so if you're interested in what that looks like, what, it, what the program entails, how, how much of a commitment it requires, uh, I would love for you to take part. You can still register at gracecovste.eventbrite.com. Uh, um, you can register for our information session. It's going to be at 1230 today, and it'll be, over, it'll be online via Zoom. So finally, uh, just as a way of encouragement... Even though we're not face-to-face, uh, I would encourage you to, to respond as, as we take part in, in this service. You're, you're either in Facebook or you're on uh, you know, church, and, and I would encourage you to get in the chat and respond. When you hear something that, that hits your heart, shout out an amen, use your words, uh, use your fingers to type out amen, because it's not only encouragement to me, but it's an encouragement to the other people who are around. And I would just encourage you all the encouragement happening everywhere. I would encourage you to take part in that way. This is, this is who we are as a people, as a culture. We, we encourage one another during worship. We encourage one another during the sermon. Uh, and it's, it's good and it's beneficial to us all. So take part in that. It'll be good for you. Well, uh, it is summertime and I long to return to the Outer Banks. I took a vacation uh, maybe three weeks ago and we went to the Outer Banks. If you're not familiar, it's this it's a, a giant, basically a sand dune, um, but it's land on the coast of North Carolina, and and there are there are beaches there. There are um, houses. It's it's somewhat commercialized, but not as commercialized as other other uh, beaches. And on the southern portion of it, there's this place called Manio. And in Manio, there's an aquarium that I've taken my kids to, and it's it's neat. You get to see all kinds of things. And it's aquariums are cool. You you walk in and you are in in a sense, submerged with these animals in a a way that's safe and and you don't have to worry about uh, uh, diving equipment or being eaten by a shark, but you get to see the sharks, you get to see the the stingrays and and the jellyfish and and all the different kinds of, of, of sea life animals there. They've got all kinds of exhibits, although I think it's closed right now. But they have, like I said, sharks, stingrays, jellyfish, you name it. They've got all kinds of exhibits. Um, And the neat thing is that you get to look in on the the life and the behavior and the the attitudes and and inclinations of these animals. You get to watch them in in the closest that we can get to, to to a natural habitat and see how they live. Um, You get to get a glimpse of what they're about. And, and I, I wanted to think about that as we look at this text t- today and consider the question, what, what would life be like if, we, um, if our lives were on display in a similar way? If you and I were, were in our own sort of aquarium life and people came and looked at us and saw us living out life, what kind of conclusions would they come to? What kind of conclusions would they come to about what we found to be most important in our lives? What, would, what kind of conclusions would they come to about what we, what we care about most of all, about what's important to us and what's not important to us, about how we relate to the world around us? I want you to think about that as we, as we look at this passage, as we look at really the aquarium life uh, of, of Jesus and his disciples in, in this moment in, in Matthew 6. 26. So we're going to read out Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. Read along with me. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it in pre- sorry done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, in the whole world, she, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that our lives would reflect the kind of commitment and passion for you that this woman's life reflected. I pray that as people, as you look in on the aquarium of our life and as others look in on the aquarium of our life, they would see the value that we place on Jesus, the, the immense worthiness that we find him to be. Father, I pray that, that your spirit would open our eyes to see Jesus as the amazing, awesome, glorious God that he is. That we would see you in, in the kind of glorious uh, a nature that would allow us to and propel us forward towards greater levels of worship. That we would see the worth in you and be willing to lay down our lives, our resources, our time, our energy that we would orient ourselves around you as worthy. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh I wanted for us to look at this this scenario, this story and and con- consider it from the perspective of of an aquarium where you're you're looking at the various players, the characters and seeing how they interact. And and here we see uh you know, a number of different individuals, but I could point out three. We see uh, this character, Simon the leper, although he's not really spoken of very extensively. And we see this woman who we'll later find out is, is probably Mary of Mary and Martha, uh, sister of Lazarus. And then finally, we see the disciples, these knuckleheads who, whom Jesus is trying to teach and train. So first of all, let, uh, let's get some context about this passage. Uh, when we think about things like this, anointing, oil, sitting at a table, reclining. Um, It's a little foreign to us because when we think about having a meal together, there are a lot of things that we we take for granted uh, that we don't see here and a lot of things in in this text that maybe we don't really relate to. Now, in, in in this period of time, in the period where Jesus was in ministry, hospitality is one of the highest commitments of the culture. And so, it's really important that, we, that you're hospitable to an individual. Even, even your enemies, they would be hospitable to, to a great degree. And part of this hospitality was breaking bread together, was having a meal together. And having a meal meant that there was peace between individuals. If you, if you refused to have a meal with someone, it, it expressed a level of animosity towards that person. And so we see Jesus here having a meal, being hosted, and it says that they're reclining. Now, this is not super important for the, the context, but it's helpful to me if we're thinking about this in terms of an, an aquarium. The, what you might picture is, is a U-shaped um, uh, setting where you've got couches on the sides and couches on maybe the, what we call the bottom, um, but it's a square. And, and on these couches, the, the disciples in Jesus are reclining, so they've got one arm kind of leaning on a, on a pillow, and the other arm, their right arm, is free to, get, to grab food. And so they're all kind of leaning, uh, one on the left, one on the bottom, one on the right, in this kind of U-shape, and in the middle is a table, or a gap area, and some tables around these couches, so that servants could come, bring food, take food away, and, and the disciples could eat, and Jesus could eat. And this was the way that they, they dined. Um, in addition, uh, they 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 would do some things when, when guests would come. A host would do a number of things. They'd they'd wash the or they'd offer to have a servant or slave wash the feet of those guests as a way of refreshing them. Uh, they'd been walking around in the dusty uh, road, and so they they'd wash their feet. They'd also anoint their head with oil. Uh, in this culture, the the. the atmosphere is dry and arid, and, and olive oil was often used to kind of bring some moisture, bring some, some life, some vibrance to the individuals, putting oil on their, on their head and, and on, in their hair. And we see that reflected in the Old Testament. You, you see things like in, in Psalms where, where it talks about the oil flowing down Aaron's head and his beard and that being a sign of, of good things. But here we see that Jesus gets anointed uh, and he gets anointed by this woman in, in an extravagant way. But I just wanted to, to set up the scene to, as we look in on this aquarium. And so in verse 6, it says this, Now when Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, dot, dot, dot. So we see that Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper. Now, it, it was unlawful for for Jews to go and, and be around leprous individuals. So likely, Simon was healed. He was probably healed of leprosy um, Either that or, or it, it's possible even that he had passed away and this was a house that, that was his, that, that now Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus have lived in. But we see that, the, that Simon um, or the household of Simon is is hosting Jesus. They've, they've hosted him for a meal. They've opened up their their lives to Jesus and the disciples. They've offered, they've offered their, their hospitality. They're serving food. They care about Jesus and his disciples, and they are trying to express that care, express the, the value that they place upon this relationship through their hospitality. Now, now I th- when I think of this, I think that many of us can relate to Simon the leper. We, we come to church, we, we connect with Jesus, maybe we, we connect with the church, and we connect with some of the teachings of God, and, and we've opened up our lives to Jesus. We've opened up our lives to, to his teachings and so we have allowed his, his life and his teachings and, and his commands to begin to permeate our lives. But, but that's kind of where it sits. It, it, it's, it's something where he's part of our lives. And this is a good thing. And I, I, don't, I don't demean what, what Simon and his household has done. Uh, certainly the Bible doesn't say anything negative about it. But I wonder if there might be more to our devotion than what we see with Simon. So we see he... he, he is introduced as Simon the Leper and the verse ver, Leper not Leopard and then verse 7 it says this a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and she poured it on his head and, uh, as he reclined at the table now there are actually four gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John and in each gospel there is an account of of Jesus being anointed by a woman And and scholars have kind of tried to go back and forth to find out, you know, is this four different accounts? Is it three accounts? Is it two accounts? Is it one account? Is this one event that happened and is described four different ways? Or is it two events that are described? And if you go back, you can go on your own and and do the research yourself. But but I, I think that there are two events. Matthew, Mark, and John describe this event in one way. And then Luke seems to describe a different, though similar, event. And so we see in Matthew that this woman comes and, and she is anointing him with oil. Now, if we go to John's description in, in chapter 12 of John, verse 1, uh, it says this Jesus was there, came, therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him dinner for, uh, sorry, gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. So Martha is bringing food in, bringing food out. Uh, Lazarus was one of those reclining with him, with Jesus at the table. And then in verse 3, it says this, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment. So it sounds familiar. Took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Uh, that's a, that's a, a spice that comes from India and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his, his feet with her hair. So we see in John's description, because he's focusing on some other things, he hones in on the fact that, that Mary, this now uh, known individual, who in Matthew is just a woman, she, she all, not only does she anoint his head, but she anoints uh, his feet. And, and we see that it's hinted at in, in Matthew chapter 6 because uh, Jesus talks about, um, in, in verse 12, he says, "...in pouring this ointment on my body..." She has done it to prepare me for burial. So Jesus is referring to the fact that she has done a radical thing. So we recognize that, that we have Simon and his household we, and we've got Mary and she is expressing a devotion to Christ. Where, where Simon the leper and his household was, was hospitable to Christ, we see that Mary is, is devoted to Christ. Right? Listen to the way it's described in verse seven of, of Matthew twenty six. A woman came to him with an alabaster uh, flask of very expensive ointment. Now this is not just you know Chanel. This is this is the kind of ointment that uh, it says w- would cost about three hundred denaria denarii, uh, denarii um, denarius in the plural three hundred denarii and a denarius was one day's wages. So three hundred is about a year's wages. So imagine in Loudoun County uh, what the mean uh, uh, salary is and, and, and she had purchased enough uh, of this expensive uh, oil to, 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 to pour it on Jesus and it, it cost about a year's wages. This is a huge amount of money. She was responding to Jesus. But she wasn't just responding in a way of saying, I, I, "I want to be hospitable, you know, Jesus come into my life." No, she was taking really something that was so valuable, you might even say that it was it was her life's value, it was her life savings or or maybe it was a it, it was a valuable family heirloom and she was taking what was most valuable to her and offering it to Jesus. This was this was well beyond what was expected. Right? When you came to a household, you didn't expect to be anointed with oil that was worth a year's wages. I mean, if that was the case, there would be very few parties. Uh, no, there, there was an understanding that, yes, we'd anoint them, but, but not like this. This was extravagant. This was extravagant devotion. And so we see that, that she goes well beyond the, the minimum as she worships Jesus, really. And, and as we look in at the aquarium, at, at, at Simon's household, and, and at, at Mary, the question we have to ask is, is how do we relate to Mary? You know, when we look at our lives and our devotion, how does that compare to Mary's love and devotion? And that, that is not necessarily to make me feel bad, make you feel bad, but it's to, to draw a comparison to, to what her worship looks like versus what her, my worship looks like. And I, I can personally confess that my worship often doesn't look so all-encompassing as hers. And I think that, that we, when we think about worship, we add worship into our lives. We add worship into our lives in the same way that we might add a good habit into our life. You know, January came and went, and, and we, were, we were thinking to ourselves, I'm going to add fitness to my life. I'm going to add better eating to my life. I'm going to add uh, a gratefulness journaling to my life. And in the same way, we think to ourselves, I'm going to add more and better worship to my life. But that's not, that's not Mary's Perspective. That's not her orientation. She had worship at the core of her life, and she was adding everything else. And you might imagine that she's giving up one of the most valuable things in her life. And, and it seems that she. you might even suggest that, or might even think that she's going to later on, not in this moment, think about, okay, well, now that I've given all that away, what do I do? She, she has worship at her core, and she's adding other things to her life. When you think about your relationship with Jesus, uh, w- if you were to, to have other people watching, would they see you doing the bare minimum to, to be able to get a stamp of approval that you're a Christian, or would they be able to say, there's a, there's a, there's a radical, uh, extravagant commitment that this person has to this, to this God. Do you orient worship around your life or do you orient your life around worship? Unfortunately, the disciples didn't see things the way Mary did. And and we see this as the story continues. And when the disciples saw it, in verse 8, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Right? They saw her worship and considered it waste. I mean, that consider that dichotomy. Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. And what's interesting is, is they're not they're not saying we could have taken that money and, and had a party. They're not saying we could have taken that money and, and bought ourselves gold rings. No, they're they thinking about good things. They're thinking about serving the poor. They're thinking about the least of these. And, and if you were to go through the rest of Matthew, you'd see that Jesus teaches on, on poverty and how you might be um, generous towards the poor. And so in a sense, they're, they're thinking the right things, but they still miss the mark. Why this waste, they say, for this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, you know, he doesn't say, you're right, guys, we shouldn't have done that. No, he, she, he says to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. You see, they didn't understand a number of things, but one of the things they didn't understand was this was a unique moment. And, she, and Mary was responding to a unique moment. The presence of God was there in Jesus Christ. Jesus was God, is God, and, and she was responding in worship. And they were thinking about taking out the trash. They were thinking about the duties that, that uh, were around this. They weren't thinking about the person for which these duties were, were done. You know, feeding the poor is good. Generosity is good. Service is good. All of these things are good, but they they have an ultimate end, and the end is worship. Worship is more than good. It is ultimate. You and I, we were created to worship. In a sense, we could say we were not created to serve. Now, we serve as a means by which to worship. We, we were created not just to be generous, but to be generous as a means by which to worship God the provider. We were, we were made not just to, to serve, but to serve as a way of expressing the nature and character of Christ, and in so doing, worship him. The disciples missed it. There was a disconnection between Christ and their perspective. And while Jesus was receiving her offering, the disciples were despising her offering. And, and you... You have to think again. Imagine we're looking in on the aquarium, and, and the disciples see Mary pouring out the oil, and they completely miss what I have to imagine was Jesus' face of, of um, approval and pleasure. Looking into the eyes of, of Mary, kind of giving her a look that says, This is appropriate, this is right. You're doing well, my daughter. You're doing well, my sister. They missed Jesus's whole response because they were so caught up in their own idea of what was right. They ran ahead of, of Christ and interpreted Mary's actions without Christ's perspective. Family, this is the danger of of you know this is the danger of growing up in church. This is the danger of of doing church life disconnected from Jesus. The moment that you you uncouple. Uh, Jesus from the church, the moment that you uncouple Jesus from, from reading your Bible, the moment that you, you separate Jesus from prayer and from, from service, from generosity, things begin to get weird because these things were never intended to be an end. They are always intended to be a means through which we can worship. As I said before, generosity is good, caring for the poor, service is good. These are all good things, but worship is ultimate. And because the disciples weren't paying attention to Jesus and his response, they missed it. In your religion, in your relationship with God, in the way that you uh, do the things that that you believe that the Bible commands you to do, how how closely are you watching Jesus? Are you just reading the Bible because that's been what you've been told to do? Or do you read the Bible and say to yourself, how can this reveal Jesus to me more? God, how can you reveal yourself more to me? How can I know and worship you more? For many of us, we read the Bible in a kind of perfunctory you know, checklist kind of way because we don't approach the Bible in this way of saying, I wanna know you more. I wanna worship you with my time. I wanna have an encounter with your presence in the same way that Mary was saying, I have an opportunity, I have an encounter right now. I'm, not going, to ta- I'm going to take advantage of this encounter and express my worship in the most extravagant way that I can. When we wake up and we do our morning devotions, we just read through and say, okay, I've read through without recognizing that we are interfacing, that we are interacting, that we are in the presence of the God of the universe who created all things and holds everything together by, th- by the power of his word. We're, we're given the opportunity, right? In this Bible journey, part of what we're doing is we're taking advantage of the opportunity to interact with, to hear from, for ourselves to hear from the God of the universe who is also the God of our salvation, the one whose who's justice and mercy came together on the cross through the, life, or the, through the death of his son, Jesus. This is, this is radical. But if we forget that, if we take it for granted, then like the disciples, we will look at things that, that God calls to be good and we will say they're not good. We will look at other people's worship and devotion and say, that's, that's not how you should do it. We will look at other churches and, and worship styles and say, you know what, hmm, that's not the way you should do it. We'll focus on, on whether or not people are doing things right rather than whether or not they love Jesus. And that's not to say that we, we have you know, every license to do whatever we want. We certainly want to hear and obey the word of God. We want to do what God says. We want to worship God in the way that he calls us to worship. But there, there was a disconnect the disciples had from the perspective of Jesus because the disciples weren't paying attention they missed it. Now my question to you family is what about you? Right? We've we've looked into the aquarium, we've seen Simon, we've seen Mary, we've seen the disciples. Where would you place yourself? You know, if we're looking at sharks and stingrays and jellyfish, which one are you? Which one are you? Where would you put yourself in in the aquarium? Do you find Jesus to be valuable? You know, worship is an expression of our belief that God is worthy. You know, there's a, it comes from the phrase worth-ship. It's, it's, uh, it's believing Jesus to be worthy. It's believing God to be worthy and responding in that way. How, how do you appraise him? How do you appraise him, rather? Do you find him to be worthy? Do you see Jesus as valuable? Or are you disconnected? Have you been been hospitable? Have you welcomed Jesus in, but but largely kind of kept him as one of the many things that are in your life? Family, God wants to be, he demands to be more than just a good thing. He is the ultimate thing. You know, I was driving into church today, and I was thinking about the fact that we look at roads and we look at buildings and we consider you know, our situation here in Northern Virginia and this is reality to us. But family, there's a deeper reality. And I don't mean to be weird or, or uh, hard, uh, obtuse, but, but there's a deeper reality that goes beyond what's happening here. And it's the ultimate reality that God exists, that he exists and he is worthy of worship and we've been created to worship him. Now, that worship takes on a lot of forms and and a lot of different things, colors, shapes, sizes, Uh, whether we worship Him at work, or we worship Him in our family, or we worship Him in our generosity, or we worship Him in our thinking. There are a lot of different ways, but ultimately, at the core, you and I were made to connect with God and worship Him. And Mary had touched on that. She understood that, and she was pouring out something that was so valuable as a way of expressing that. Where are you in the aquarium? Let's pray. Father God, I confess that my worship is oftentimes not nearly as devoted as it ought to be. That I get distracted. That I, that I take my gaze off of you, Jesus. And because of that, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm trying to add you back into my life rather than centering my life on worship and, and orienting everything else around it. I confess that and I repent. Lord, would you make me a better worshiper? Would you help me to see with better eyes the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul says? Lord, would you open my eyes to see the glory of who Jesus is and to, to appraise his value as most valuable, to offer my life to him in worship, to do the good things that you've called me to do, not just because they're good things, but because they're good things that I can do in worship to you. God, I pray that we would not be like the disciples who were seeking to do good things disconnected from the God for whom they were to be done. God, make us worshipers in all that we do. Make us worshipers in in the technical world. Make us worshipers in the government world. Make us worshipers in, in, in the service industry. Make us worshipers in the education industry. Make us worshipers in church. Make us worshipers in our homes. Make us worshipers as we relate to other people. Make us worshipers online as we comment on things. God, I pray that we would be worshipers like Mary, that we would pour out our lives, that it would be a pleasing aroma, a refreshing aroma to you, Jesus. The good news, family, is that Jesus died on the cross in part that we might be able to have this relationship and become the kind of worshipers he calls us to be. We don't worship him in order to earn something from him, but we worship him because he's done something for us. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus, if you've never considered yourself to be a worshiper, the Bible says that if you confess your sins, if you, if you go to God and say, I've done these things wrong and, and repent and turn to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive you. And, and in so doing, he, he reunites us to one another and he allows worship to become the center of who you are. If that's you, if you want to, to have worship be the center of who you are, if you want to give glory to God in your life, not just for that to be an add-on to your life, just pray along with me. Say, God, I confess everything I know to be sin. I, I confess that I am a sinner and I want to turn away from my sin, turn away from all these other things in my life and turn to you as my Lord, as the one who's in charge of my life, and as my savior, the one who saves me from the penalty of sin. And I want you to reorient my life so that I might be a worshiper first and foremost, that I might pour out my life as a pleasing ointment. God, would you change and transform me? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If that was you, that's awesome. Tell someone in the chat, we'd love to connect with you to help you walk out this life, to help you get into the practicals of what it looks like for you to be a worshiper at the core, to be devoted at the core. Um, Love you, family. Well, part of what we've been doing in in response to all this is that we have been seeking to raise money to, to collect funds, benevolence funds, offerings, in order that we might worship God through our generosity to our community. And today I want to come back to you and ask if you're willing and able, would you consider worshiping God through your giving? You can give in a number of different ways. If you want, you can write a check to Grace Covenant Church and write Sterling Benevolence in the memo. You can send that to our church office. Otherwise, you can, you can give online at gracecoveorg slash sterling. Click the give link. Or you can download our mobile app in, the, in the, Apple, uh, the Apple Store or in the Google Play Store, and you can give that way. But however you do, let me encourage you, give and be generous as an expression of your worship for the God who's been generous to you. I want to pray and bless us. Lord God, we pray that you would bless the offering that comes, that, that you would continue to allow us to use it to be a blessing in our community, especially to those in need. Lord, to be a blessing to those who have physical needs that we might meet them in order that they might allow us to meet their spiritual need. Introduce them to you, Jesus. God, would you bless and multiply this offering, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, family, you are amazing, and I'm thankful for you. Let me say this last word as a blessing over your life. And my God will supply every need According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Love you, family.